All right. Well, we will probably get back into Genesis next week um, and deal with a big chunk of, of, of Scripture, actually. Um, if, if my plan serves, uh, if, if my plan holds, we'll start with the very end of chapter 26 and make it into chapter 28. Uh, so, and, and I think that we'll be able to accomplish that in a, meaning, a reasonable amount of time. So before you start thinking of excuses not to be here next week, uh, bear with me. Uh, we'll divide it up if we need to. But we are tonight going to, I, you know, I, sometimes when we take these occasional breaks, I like to go to the Psalms. And so if you got your Bible, and I see y'all do, Psalm 52 is where we're at. This is a psalm that is tied to other to Old Testament scripture, and it's also tied to some New Testament scripture. But as we read this, we're just going to kind of take it as we go. If we start from the beginning... <laughs> And when we start from the beginning, we don't start in verse 1. We start with the inscription before verse 1. And it says, For the choir director, a mascal of David, when Doeg the Edomite came and told Saul and said to him, David has come to the house of Ahimelech. So that, that is part of the inspired Hebrew text. And that's why it's there. That's why when you're reading through the Psalms, don't skip over those parts. Um, so we see first for the choir director. Now we were recently in one of the Psalms, I think it was 41, maybe 38, where we saw the same inscription. And what that does, it's a reminder to us that the Psalms were what Israel used to worship God in song. They sung these together. It was, the, the Psalms were an integral part of the worship when they came together. And so... It's for the choir director that's emphasizing that because what we read, what we're going to see is that Psalm 52 is is great for worship because it speaks to uh, an emotion, um, maybe not an emotion, uh, a mindset we all have a temptation to face. It, it it deals with the greatness and the goodness and the justice and the faithfulness of God, and those are all things we need to always have our our eyes on, if we, if we take our eyes off of that, we begin to lose focus on all kinds of other things. So uh, it's great for that. So it's for the choir director. It's a mascal of David. And what that means is, well, what we think it means is that it is a contemplative psalm or a didactic psalm. What I mean by that is it's meant to provoke thought. It's meant to, to teach the worshiper more about God. It's meant to, to teach the worshiper to, to provoke the worshiper to consider himself or herself in light of the truth. And that's what all scripture really should do. Uh, and I pray that this will do so with us this evening. Well, then the question comes, what provoked David to write this psalm? Well, we see that it's when Doeg the Edomite came and told Saul and said to him, David has come to the house of Ahimelech. So that's an Old Testament reference. And it provides us the context for the psalm. So let's talk about the context before we get into the actual words of the psalm. Doeg the Edomite. We read about him in 1 Samuel 21. Um, we find out there that he was the chief shepherd for King Saul. Saul has been king for some time, but we see beginning uh, in uh, not too long after his reign that it's not going to work out very well for him because he, he's not obedient to the Lord. There's this climactic moment in 1 Samuel 15 where he is instructed to um, 
basically destroy the Amalekites, and then he doesn't. He leaves King Agag alive, and uh, some of the best stuff they take for themselves. And it's there that Saul is told that because he's disobeyed, the Lord's gonna because he's forsaken the Lord, the Lord is gonna rip the kingdom away from him. Um, Samuel tells him that, and he's gonna give it instead. God's gonna give the kingdom to another a man after his own heart, and we know, of course, that that is David. Um, first, Saul keeps David close. David kills Goliath. Saul has David in his court playing the harp, and, and but it doesn't take long for Saul to want to kill David. And by chapter 21, David is on the run. He's on the run with his men, and he comes to a place called Nob, and there's a priest at Nob by the name of Ahimelech. And David comes, and he's, he's seeking food. He seeks five loaves of bread, or whatever you have, basically, is what he says. And Ahimelech says, well, we don't have any ordinary bread for you. All we have is the consecrated bread. It's the bread uh, that, that we read about in places like uh, Exodus twenty-five thirty. It's called the bread of the presence. And what it was is they would have it out to, to symbolize the presence of God amongst the people. And what they would do is every Sabbath day they would come and replace it with new bread. In Leviticus 24, they were to bring the bread out every Sabbath, and it was to be set before the Lord continually as a symbol of the everlasting covenant between God and between Israel. And only the priests then were able or were allowed to eat that bread once it was replaced. Well, in 1 Samuel 21, the priest Ahimelech decides to give the... Uh, to give the bread to David, to give this bread to David and his men so that they will have something to eat. And, uh, well, Doeg the Edomite, is he finds out about this. He's loyal to Saul, and he tells Saul all about it. And Saul, in response, in chapter 22, he says to Doeg, kill all of the priests, and kill all of the women, and kill all of the children, and the oxen, and the donkeys, and the sheep, and he does this, he carries this out, all because one priest helped David. So we see a little bit of, of Saul's mindset. And we are actually told that only a priest named Abiathar survived. And David ends up taking Abiathar kind of into his care because of Doeg's treachery. But still, you can imagine how this would leave quite the impression on David. And how he might be tempted to look at himself and blame himself for what happened. How he might be tempted to, to, to run away further, maybe even run away from God because of this trouble that seems to be pursuing him. The, you can imagine if, that you know, he's afraid. Terror grips him. Um, he actually becomes so afraid that he puts his mother and father under the protection of the king of Moab. And Moab is no friend to Israel. So that tells you a little bit about what's going on uh, and how far Saul was willing to go. But that said, all the things we could say about David, this psalm is a testimony of his faith. And it is an example to us because David encourages himself in the knowledge that God is the judge and that God will vindicate those who love Him and those who fear Him. And God is going to punish the one who does not take refuge in Him. So that sets up Psalm 52. 
And it's a psalm that laments evil and expresses trust in the sovereignty and goodness of God. So what do we read? Let's finally get to the psalm itself. Verse 1 says, Why do you boast in evil, O mighty man? He, and so he's talking about Doeg. Doeg has gladly delivered the news of, of David receiving this assistance to King Saul. He has triumphantly carried out Saul's mission to, to kill, to eliminate uh, these priests and, and the women and children also. And that is enough to shake the strongest of faiths when evil just seems to keep winning. And, and, and maybe you have felt that way. Maybe you feel that way today when you, when you watch the news. And there, there probably will still be times when you feel this way in your life. Frustrated, angry, um, terrified perhaps, scared, and perhaps even embittered against God. Because you look around and... All we see is, is that evil seems to be prevailing. Prevailing, the bad guys seem to keep winning. What is going on, God? I mean, this is a question that's asked throughout Scripture. This is a question that Job asks. This is a question that the the psalmists, other psalmists, ask regularly, and, and and evil seems to be winning. So it's easy to get discouraged. And so here, David sees this happening all right before his eyes. I mean, this is very personal to him. It's as real as it gets and, and, and tragic and heartbreaking all the way around. And that's what makes how he responds staggering. Why do you boast an evil, O mighty man? The loving kindness of God endures all day long. The loving kindness of God endures all day long. There may be things which appear to obstruct the love and grace that God pours out on those He loves. There may be things that appear to obstruct that, but they only appear to do that. David challenges Doeg and any evil man who might boast in his evil. Because these obstructions are temporary. These things that seem to get in the way of God's love for us, these things that seem to get in the way of... that, that, that seem to be obscuring the power of God, they are temporary obstructions because the loving kindness of God endures all day long. God cannot and God does not weary in helping his people. So David writes here and, and he has every... He, he, all the human inclination probably in him to cut and run. But his faith is in God here and so he writes confidently despite the tragedy around him that he is going to experience in the future what he has experienced in the past, and what that is, is the favor of God upon him. And he, he knows that no matter what's in front of him, that God's deliverance is just around the corner. And even when it doesn't seem that way for us, if we are in Christ, it is that way for us. You know, I, we, we, you know sometimes before these Wednesday night Bible studies, we get into talk of politics, and you guys know by now how I feel about the state of politics in our country. And, and you've shared your frustrations with me, right? <laughs> and and we, we did, the bad guys seem to keep winning. And, or bad gals, as the case may be. And, and sometimes it's two bads going against each other, and one of them's probably going to... Anyway. Not to get too much into that, but 
sometimes it seems that way for us. And we can't explain what's going on around us. But God's deliverance is right around the corner. When evil seems to triumph, you and I need to not be shaken by it. But like David here, we need to remember that God is sovereign, that God remains on His throne, and this is what I like most. Well, not most, because this goes along with all those, the, the, the two things I just said, but God's not shaken one bit by anything that happens. You know, we can complain all we want about what's going on in the world. God's not shaken one bit. And praise God for that. Um, His loving kindness is more powerful than all the bad, than all the evil. Uh, And so David continues to speak to the evil man, Doeg, in verses 2 through 4. Your tongue devises destruction like a sharp razor, razor, O worker of deceit. You love evil more than good, falsehood more than speaking what is right, Salah. You love all words that devour, O deceitful tongue. And so what David's doing here is he's describing some characteristics, not all the characteristics, but some of the characteristics of the evil man. And and notice how much of it has to do with the tongue here. Doeg really seemed to be running off his mouth. Um, We read James, the brother of Jesus, In James 3, he writes, See how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire, and the tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity. You know, we're told so much about how to be careful about how we talk to one another and how the things we say. Um, Gossips are put right along with murderers in in the the list of evil things in the New Testament. And yet... uh, we seem to kind of brush that sin under the rug way too easily, but Doeg's tongue was on fire. And your tongue devises destruction. Beloved, ungodly people cannot help but plot with their mouths, which, you know, things that are, are going to tear down other people. Ungodly people will run there. Out of a man comes what's in a man. It's all kinds of filthiness, all kinds. That's what Jesus says. Like a sharp razor, O worker of deceit, the ungodly may claim to be upright. The ungodly may claim to be faithful, may claim to be truthful. But one of the easiest ways to sin is to lie. And be careful about how we're doing it so that we can't be caught on it. That's where the deceit comes in, the trickery. Yeah, the the very careful who, how you say something and who you say it to, um, strategic a strategic way of talking. We shouldn't have to be so strategic in how we talk to other people because our the way we talk should be seasoned with grace all the time. It should be seasoned with truth all the time, so that we don't have to be so careful because that should be what comes out of us naturally. But what we see here is that uh, that's not the case with men like Do- Doeg. You love evil more than good, falsehood more than speaking what is right. Uh, by this time, King Saul had long since departed the word of the Lord. He was no longer concerned about doing what was right. Uh, what was evil, opposed to the will of God, was more important to him than, uh, than what was right. So to that end, we must be careful to walk uh, in the faith and, and to make sure the things that we love and the things that we desire are the things that God loves and the things that God desires for us. 
we want to be walking in lockstep with the character of God, with the fruit of the Spirit, with the things He's told us to do. And that does not include a tongue that devises destruction. It does not include a sharp razor, oh, and it does not include deceit. We must be careful because, you know, if you, if you picked up a gun and shot somebody, you would be called on that. I mean, you'd be in trouble for that. But when you just use your tongue, you're probably not going to get arrested for that. You're probably not going to be thrown in jail for that. But what does God say about that? God says that <laughs> this is a dangerous weapon. Our mouth, are, our, my, the way David's talking here, our mouths are, are deadly weapons. Um, people conspire, people gossip, people spread things that aren't true. People, people use their mouths hoping to bring others down by what they say. Uh, hoping, hoping to ruin the reputations of others. People speak to blame others. And what does David write? He writes, You love all words that devour, O deceitful tongue. People are, who, are, who are evil unbelievers use words in such a way as to devour others, to tear people down. And, and they don't use the truth to do it. Why? Because Satan is the father of lies. So they're just walking in the way of their father the devil. That's what Jesus says. You are of your father the devil is what he says to unbelievers. Uh, old deceitful tongue. People are, people are deceitful in how they tear down. Um, like a predator hunting prey, sometimes the prey doesn't realize it's being hunted before it's too late. Sometimes those being devoured by the lying tongue of the evil man don't realize it before it's too late either. And that being the case, David's in the middle of this and things seem hopeless. We look around the world and sometimes we might be tempted to say, it's hopeless. What's going on around? It's hopeless. But God, verse 5. Whenever you feel hopeless, go into the Bible and find a place where it says, but God. We've seen how important that is, that phrase is before in Scripture. Um, one of my favorite one that I always seem to point out when I'm talking about that phrase is in Ephesians 2 where we are dead in our trespasses and sins, we are children of wrath, we are sons of disobedience, but God, being rich in mercy, makes us alive with Christ Jesus. That's the, the best news of all, but God. Here we are, destined for hell, we are sinners, we are due the judgment, but God. And that's what we see here in verses 5 through 7. David, everything seems hopeless for David. But God will break you down forever. He's talking to the evil man still, Doeg. He will snatch you up and tear you away from your tent and uproot you from the land of the living. The righteous will see and fear and will laugh at him, saying, Behold, the man who would not make God his refuge, but trusted in the abundance of his riches and was strong in his evil desire. The wicked are ultimately, and this is the thing we have to, this is why we shouldn't be shaken, because we've got to remember that the wicked are ultimately in the hands of a holy God. And God's holiness demands that He judge sin. 
Every sin that has ever been committed is going to be judged. Do you realize that? It's either judged at the cross of Christ or it will be judged in each individual who has never accepted Christ. But every sin will have been judged that has ever been committed by the time uh, the, the new heaven and the new earth come about. And we can take comfort in that. That, that God is a holy God and He will make all things right. Hebrews 9.27 says, it is, a, it is appointed for man once to die and then the judgment. Hebrews 12.23 tells us that God is the judge of all. God will break you down forever, David writes. And I don't think David writes this just warning Doeg. I think... You know, of course, that has something to do with it because evil people who do evil should be warned. And in our preaching of the gospel, when we talk to other people about what the Bible says about salvation, it should include the reality of of a judgment to come, the reality of hell. But I think David's main motivation here is to comfort himself, to remind himself of what he already knows that God doesn't allow evil to go unpunished. He, he, he may have Exodus 34-7 in mind, which is a very important passage where God is speaking to Moses and, and he's basically he's revealing his own character and, and part of that is he will by no means let the guilty go unpunished. So those who do evil might build big tents, David says. They might have storehouses of material uh, treasure and social treasure, political treasure, some other kind of treasure. But God is going to snatch them up. David says, God's going to tear them away from those treasures in the judgment. He will take them out. He will uproot them from the land of the living, which means what, it, what we, we think it means. It means death. It means the, the penalty of eternal destruction. They are going to die, and then they're going to know that they are sinners in the hands of an angry God. To, to quote the old Jonathan Edwards sermon, sinners in the hands of an angry God. And by that point, it'll be too late, though. You know, we're all sinners in the hands of an angry God before we're saved. But by then, it'll be too late for them. So, David says, The righteous will see in fear. Verse 6. If you're discouraged, if you, if, you, if you get discouraged by the reign of sin and death and evil in the world, be comforted by the knowledge that it will not endure all day long. Like God's loving kindness will. The righteous will see and fear. And that, that ought to embolden us to stand firm in our faith. To not be shaken when we see evil attempting, seemingly prevailing. Um, it ought to generate in our hearts also this increasing compulsion to serve the Lord in obedience now. To walk in the truth now. Sometimes I use a phrase like a, a holy recklessness. You know, we ought to be willing to lay everything we have, everything we are on the line for the glory of Christ. Because God's loving kindness endures all day long. The righteous will see and fear and will laugh at him, the evil man, saying, Behold, the man who would not make God his refuge, but trusted in the abundance of his riches, and was strong in his evil desire. Evil will become a laughing stock to God. 
Uh, the, the judgment of evil men will become a testimony for those who have taken refuge in, in Christ, in, in God. And, and those who, who instead trust in themselves, who trust in the things they have, their own riches. And when it, when it says their own riches, I don't think that just means money. I think that means self-righteousness too. That, that, that's the root sin, the pride, self-righteousness. Not realizing you have to repent and come to Christ. Um, there, there's nothing more evil than that. So, you know, those who reject God, those who the, who reject Him, he, he spread Himself on the cross to put away sin. That'll be them. So, so you and I, we we we, we can't be overcome. This is the encouragement tonight. You and I, we can't be overcome with the emotions, the, the frustration, the anger, uh, the hate, the discouragement when things seem so bad. That's the time to rest in, in, in Jesus Christ. That's the time when your faith is tested. That's the time... When your faith is proven, let endurance have its perfect work. Uh, James one says, "Let endurance have its perfect work." God's loving kindness endures all day long. When those times come, let endurance have its perfect work. Let God's loving kindness endure in your heart. Um, verses eight and nine. But as for me. I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the loving kindness of God forever and ever. I will give thanks. I will give you thanks forever because you have done it. And I will wait on your name for it is good in the presence of your godly ones. But as for me, that's a phrase that's compare and contrast. He's contrasting himself with Doeg. He's with, with the unbeliever, with, with Saul, with the evil man. And the contrast is glaring. You know, David knows that he's not perfect. You know, he, he hasn't committed those sin with Bathsheba yet. He hasn't taken the census as a king in his old age yet. He hasn't made other mistakes yet. But he's made plenty of mistakes. He's, he's sin, he knows he's a sinner. He knows he's only saved by the grace of God. He knows he's not perfect, but he also knows that he's not boasting in evil. It's not pride to know that you're not boasting in evil. David's not showing pride here. And even though things don't look good right now, David knows God isn't going to break him down. He's going to raise him up, he says. I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. Now, let's talk about that for a minute. The olive tree is a fairly common well, it was a fairly common tree in Israel. I imagine it probably still is. It also is used fairly commonly in the Bible as an, an, an analogical device. Um, representing life, representing strength. Sometimes Israel is, is compared to a an olive tree. But... Far from being snatched up and torn away from his tent like Doeg will be, David is, is healthy, he's sturdy, he's bearing fruit, 
He's productive and secure in the house of God and in the safety of God's all-powerful hand and in the blessings found in His favor. David trusts in the loving kindness of God forever and ever. That's what verse 8 says. And he can do that despite all this other stuff around him because again, I go back, God's loving kindness endures all day long. It's never fading. It, you know, a few weeks ago on Sunday morning we are reading through Romans as we start our services and a couple weeks ago we read at the end of Romans 8 verses 38 and 39 how nothing can separate us Nothing can separate those whom God has called into salvation. Nothing, can, neither height nor depth nor principalities or powers, no created thing can separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. So David doesn't need to, to trust in the abundance of his own riches like men such as Saul and Doeg. He knows God is going to make all things right in his time all day long. It's, it's as good as done to David. Look, he says... I will give you thanks forever because you have done it. Now, had, had God done it yet in, in, in David's time and in David's space? No, He had not. Evil seemed, still seemed to be prevailing. But He writes, because you have done it. That's the kind of faith we need to have. That, that hope, that future faith, that certainty. Why can we stand firm in the midst of a, of a society and a culture that's crumbling around us? Because God has done it. God hasn't punished evildoers yet. God hasn't glorified us yet. But in the mind of David, God said He would, so God has done it. He's promised it, so He's done it. It's, that's the kind of faith we need to have in the promises of God. That's the kind of faith we have seen Abraham have in the promises of God uh, in our Genesis study. So, so God's loving kindness manifests itself in bringing down His enemies and in exalting those who love Him. And I will wait on your name for it is good in the presence of your godly ones. To wait on the name of the Lord means to to patiently wait for His mercy to be shown, to, to trust God, to, to take God at His word, to believe His promises. Um, and again, that's just what it means to be saved. If you don't believe God, if, if you call yourself saved but don't believe in His promises, uh, who are you kidding? Um, David can wait on the Lord because His name is good. His name is good. God's character exudes goodness all the time. There, even, even in the tricky parts of Scripture where it seems like, humanly speaking, it seems unfair. Even in those parts of Scripture where whole cities are destroyed. God's goodness still exudes from that. Um, and before we wrap up, I do want to mention the New Testament, the way this is tied to the New Testament. It's in Mark 2, it's also in Luke 6. But uh, Jesus, that, 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 that story, it's not a story, it happened. It, it's, not a, it's not fictional, it really happened. Jesus and his disciples were passing through the grain fields on the Sabbath. 
And if you recall, his disciples were plucking the heads of grain and eating them. And that riled up the Pharisees, and they accused Jesus of violating the Sabbath because of that. And Jesus, in defending himself and condemning the Pharisees for their hypocrisy at the same time, he cites David in 1 Samuel 21 and 22. He cites what David did, taking the bread of the presence to meet his needs and meet the needs of his companions. Jesus himself makes the comparison to make his point that human needs override ceremony and tradition. The Sabbath is made for man and and not man for the Sabbath. And, And likewise, the message of this psalm is that even when surrounded by evil, even when evil seems to be winning, God gives those who trust in Him His presence. And that's one, I mean... Not to just keep reiterating and reiterating the point. One last thing I want to leave with you is one reason why we should be able to stand firm in the face of of trials and tribulations and all kinds of troubles is that we have the presence of God with us. When Jesus went back into heaven, I'm going to send you a helper. A helper is the Holy Spirit who, who actually dwells in each and every one who trusts in Jesus Christ. Through the Spirit and through faith, then we can persevere through any trial. We can persevere through any tribulation. We don't have to fear. We don't have to be shaken because we can remember what David wrote here, that God's loving kindness endures all day long. And time would prove David right. And time is going to prove God right. God's going to set everything right. And that's our hope. That's our hope. So, don't be discouraged. Stand firm. Um, God's, I love it. I love the loving kindness of God endures all day long. There's never a moment when it doesn't endure. And we can take great joy and confidence from that. Let's close in prayer. Father, we are just absolutely not worthy of one second of your loving kindness. And to think that you have not only given us that second, but that your saving love, your saving grace, your saving mercy, it's non-stop. It endures all day long. It never ceases. It's never diminished. We thank you, Father for the amazing love and grace and mercy you have poured out upon those whom you have saved. We are all sinners who have fallen short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is surely death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. You sent your Son into the world. And David is looking forward in this psalm, Yes, he's talking about a situation in in what was then his present, but Lord, this points us to Christ. This points us to the one who is the son of David, your son Jesus. This points us to how through him we get to enjoy your loving kindness forever and ever. When we are attacked by others, when we see the bad guys seemingly winning in this world, when we see 
good people suffering. Well, those who were trying to do right at least suffer. Because only you are truly good. But help us to remember, Father, your love never fails. That nothing can separate us from your love. And calls us to stand. Calls us to be resolute. Calls us to be confident. Calls us to be standing in the promises of Christ our King. We ask this in His name. Amen.